Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And first, Caroline, let me apologize to you for my slightly sick, raspy voice. I don't know. It kind of sounds sexy. Yeah, now that I'm hearing myself, I kind of sound exactly like I always do. <laughs> so, Maybe throw some convincing coughs in there. Um. Anyway, today we are talking about uh, Martha Stewart, which has absolutely no connection whatsoever to the little cold that I have developed. But uh, I thought I would start things off by sharing what Martha's doing today. You know, on our calendar, Caroline today probably said something along the lines of podcasting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Record that Martha Stewart podcasting. Well, I went to MarthaStewart.com uh, to look at her planning calendar that she has. Mm-hmm. And for today, Martha's to-do list is make chicken and vegetable stocks, freeze them. And then tomorrow, she's planning to pick spinach and lettuce from the greenhouse for salads. That sounds like a good thing. Do you think that's true? Maybe I'm cynical. I would like for it to be true. Honestly, it's it's really overcast today that Mm -hmm. we're recording and staying at home making chicken and vegetable stocks and freezing them and maybe putting on an afghan afterwards (laughs) and curling up with some chamomile tea. But I don't think she does that. She's a busy lady. Yeah, she never stops. The reason that I'm cynical that she's actually making chicken stock today is that she is the head of an empire. Right. A Martha Stewart empire. She has plenty of people to make chicken stocks for yeah, her. Yeah, she can just call on her chicken stock servant, <laughs> yes. and they can do it. We're not claiming that Martha Stewart has servants. <laughs> Disclaimer. I'm just saying, if I had a lot of money and I wanted chicken stock all the time... You could fi- probably find someone to I could hire someone mm-hmm. to make it for me. <laughs> uh, but speaking of Martha Stewart, as a businesswoman... One of the reasons why we wanted to have this podcast today about Martha is because things are not going quite so great. Yeah, there's one area of her empire that is suffering of late. Uh, The Hallmark Channel is preparing to cancel the Martha Stewart show, which will air through the end of of the summer, summer 2012. Uh, Production will cease in April and reruns will air through the end of the summer. Mm -hmm. And I think the Martha Stewart show originally started out on NBC and then moved mm-hmm. to Hallmark, and it's run for a total of seven seasons on both uh, channels, but has recently seen a slide in ratings, and also there have been complaints about production costs. So, Martha Stewart Show, bye-bye. As well as uh, Home Depot pulling its line of Martha Stewart Living paint. Oh. This was double whammy news, both reported in the in the New York Post a few days ago. Hmm. Well, good news for, for Martha fans who like to watch her on TV. Um, she is, well, not she, her, her giant empire, Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia, is in talks with the network, according to network reps, about potential new show formats and concepts. So it's very possible she might develop something else. And even if she doesn't form another show on the Hallmark Channel, mm-hmm. she's got plenty else going on. She does. Omnimedia. I mean, if that uh, doesn't omnimedia. kind of hint at how many balls she's juggling. Yeah, omni, like omnivore or omniscient, things that are a lot of things. <laughs> or omni, the former sports facility in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, where I saw Bush in seventh grade. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Do we want to talk about Omnimedia now that we've 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to let you drive this car. Uh, okay. Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia comprises four main areas, publishing, internet broadcasting, and merchandising, all of which is cross-promoted. Right. Yeah, because you'll notice, I mean... Just talking about uh, the merchandising alone, if you've ever been, she doesn't have a relationship with Kmart anymore, mm-hmm. but I remember buying things of hers at Kmart. Uh, half of the stuff in my apartment right now is Martha Stewart from Macy's. <laughs> um, yeah, she has a lot, a lot of products out there. And lines for Home Depot, which Kristen just said the paint had been pulled, Sears, Macy's, Walmart. She has craft stuff at Michael's. She also has home cleaning products, pet products, so that your pet can be preppy just like Martha. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they have little pet button-ups just like Martha. I bet. And little wigs. Oh, my God. I'm a genius. Okay. <laughs> Brands of wine and a line of fresh and frozen foods. And the one that blew my mind was home construction. MSLO, Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia, is involved in home construction. It builds and sells houses modeled after Stewart's homes in New York and Maine. Wow. So you can live in your very own Martha Stewart. Eating her food. Home. Uh, buying her crafts. Wow. Yeah. You can, I bet. I wonder if she has frozen chicken stock. <laughs> you can buy. Probably. Uh, but merchandising, just one of those four pillars. Publishing really makes up a bulk of mm-hmm. MSLO. She has published so many books. She has magazines such as Martha Stewart Living, Weddings, Everyday Food, and Whole Living, as well as special holiday and family-themed magazine issues. And I want to say that Martha Stewart Living uh, Magazine Circulation, which was the first and uh, obviously her cornerstone publication, peaked at... 2.1 million. Jeez. Not bad. Not bad at all. I don't know. Martha Stewart Living kind of intimidates me. Right. Because I feel like I look at it and it just looks at me back and it goes, you're not serious enough. Mm-hmm. You don't You don't really want this. You you're not, not a crafter. I'm just imagining you staring down Martha Stewart Living, <laughs> the grocery store aisle. Well, I do. I stand there in line at, at Publix or wherever. And just stare at the magazine, and I'm like, I'm not. I know I'm not worthy. I'll just pick up. I'll just pick up another one. Somehow it magically just slides behind. <laughs> yeah, one like, of the tabloid magazines yeah. just slides in front of it. Uh, in, in addition to uh, print publishing, of course, she has her internet properties such as MarthaStewart.com, as well as uh, radio, TV, other kinds of broadcast. Properties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's Everyday Food on PBS, and she has the Martha Stewart Living radio program. Apparently, she has a pretty serious <laughs> presence <laughs> on on Sirius Satellite Radio. Um, and according to her page on, on Sirius Radio's website, uh, Martha Stewart Living Radio is the nation's first 24-hour, seven-day-a-week radio service dedicated to creative living. And one thing I didn't realize was that Martha Stewart basically bought the rights to Chef Emeril Lagasse and all of his mm-hmm. uh, properties as well. Expanding the brand. you got to mm-hmm. look forward. Yeah. Can't look back. So you basically buy just buy personalities, uh, yeah. which is kind of fascinating Bam. when you think about it. Uh, so that is Martha Stewart, the business. And I'm sorry to keep being the Deb Downer of this episode. But in June 2011, they reported that the company had sold almost $43 million worth of products. But at the end of the year, uh, was $10 million in the red. And in fact, it had lost money seven out of the last eight years. Hmm. I wonder if that's why she's looking to expand the brand. Yeah. Because, you know, she brought her daughter, Alexis, on board, and Alexis had 
the Whatever Martha show, mm-hmm. and she had a show on Sirius Radio also with with Jen- her co-host Jennifer. Um, and and Martha did say in interviews with New York Magazine that um, she was quite aware that maybe her traditional shows did not appeal. The crafting and the cooking mm-hmm. and all that's handmade and the chicken stock maybe didn't appeal to people of our generation so much. So she's bringing on her daughter to k- kind of spice things up. Yeah. But before we talk about the future of MSLO, perhaps we should revisit the past and find out and find out how Martha Stewart got her start. Because even as a child, she was quite the talented gal. She was. And she had help from everyone around her (laughs) who insisted on helping her. At the age of three, her dad, who was a pharmaceuticals salesman, um, taught her to garden. He was an avid gardener himself. And so at the age of three, I don't know what I was doing at the age of three, but I'm pretty sure it was involving Barbies, not gardening. Um, She also learned cooking and sewing from her mother, and her grandparents taught her to make preserves. Again, I... My childhood apparently pales in comparison. Well, not to mention all of that, some retired bakers who lived next door to her taught her to make pies and cakes. Sounds like the most idyllic <laughs> country childhood. But in fact, she grew up in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she says that she came from a modest home mm-hmm. in New Jersey and that uh, her brothers would hunt and fish and kind of describes it as sort of a hard scrabble upbringing, but uh, I don't know, it's still... still Little house in Jersey. <laughs> yes. Uh, she was a straight-A student and won a scholarship to Barnard, where she studied art, European history, and architectural history. And not only that, the uh, the fair maiden also modeled to cover expenses, and she continued a successful modeling career, appearing in print and TV ads for Breck, Clairol, Life Buoy Soap, and Territon Cigarettes. Yeah. She was all over the place. The Stewart, who knew? Yeah. And in 1961, she got married to law student Andrew Stewart. Right. And she actually followed in the footsteps of his father, and in 1967 became a stockbroker. Which, I mean, this lady, I mean, I've never heard of anyone, I've never heard of this before. Mm-mm. This is pretty impressive, yeah. Martha. To to have this this background in, in modeling... And and yet art and architecture, and then to go and become a stockbroker, that just doesn't seem like the traditional path. That's that's pretty impressive. Um, She left in 1973 when a recession hit Wall Street, and then she and her husband moved up to Connecticut and fixed up an old farmhouse. And while living at the old farmhouse, it seems like Martha tapped back into those early kind of homemaking skills that she learned as a child. And in 1976, she starts a catering business out of her basement while managing a gourmet food store in town. And by building connections through this catering business and uh, really setting up a high-priced clientele, and by networking through this catering business, Martha Stewart really makes a name for herself. And that's what propels her to publish her first book, Martha Stewart's Entertainment in 1982. Yeah, the best-selling, this is also blowing me away, Mm -hmm. the best-selling cookbook since Julia Child's Mastering the Art of French Cooking. And I think it's really interesting that that's the one it it beat because that is how she taught herself gourmet cooking. Yeah. Was using Julia Child's cookbook. And then within 10 years of starting her own catering business in the basement of an old farmhouse, Mm She grossed it into a million dollar business. Yeah. Why? Yeah, of course. Of course she did. 
Because she's Martha. Because she's Martha. Uh, and then in 1989, she divorces Andrew Stewart. And a year later, she starts her own magazine, Martha Stewart Living, which really propels her more public persona. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she started appearing on talk shows, and she got her own 30-minute show, which then, because of its popularity, expanded to an hour with 30-minute episodes on the weekend. So she's really kind of a busy lady from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then by 1993, she starts up that relationship with Kmart that you mentioned earlier, Caroline, for a reported $5 million over 10 years. And then by 1997, she's purchased all the publishing, broadcasting, merchandising, and licensing ventures that bear her name and consolidated all of them into MSLO, that Omnimedia Corporation. Yeah, smart move. And in 1999, the company goes public... And the share price more than doubles the first day of trading. And like a smarty, she retained most of the sh- most of the shares and served as chairman, president, and CEO. So things are going really well for Martha in the early 2000s. Yeah, 2001, Ladies Home Journal names her the third most powerful woman in America, which mm-hmm. isn't too shabby. Yeah, and then uh, a, a great honor is bestowed upon her when she is invited to join the New York Stock Exchange Board of Directors in June 2002. But then, but then, a dark chapter arrives. Uh, she resigns four months later when the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission accuses Martha Stewart of violating inside trader rules, leading MSLO's share prices to plummet, and the TV show gets the axe. Yeah, I'm sure most of you remember, or I don't know, maybe you don't, but she was under investigation for selling hundreds of shares of M-Clone just before the FDN, FDA announced it was not approving the company's new cancer drug. So once that announcement came out, the value of the stock plummeted. And it just so happened that Martha Stewart, who was sitting on the Stock Exchange Board of Directors, obviously, you know, uh, just kind of got rid of those shares uh, just <laughs> yep. just in the nick of time. We don't know what happened. Nope. We, we don't. We don't claim to know what happened. Um, but in June 2003, an indictment charged her with securities fraud, uh, obstruction of justice, conspiracy, and making false statements to prosecutors and the FBI. And while she pleaded innocent to all charges and a judge eventually dismissed the securities fraud charge, a jury found her guilty of the rest, and she was sentenced to five months in prison and fined... $30,000. And I remember just how the media was fascinated mm-hmm. by this Martha Stewart thing because it's in such stark contrast to this perfect kind of homemaking, you know, let's yeah. uh, make our own stationery and make a little uh, <laughs> little stamps and send letters to friends. Uh, and now she's sitting in the courtroom right. with, with Alexis, yeah. her daughter, yeah. stone-faced, stone-faced in the front row. Yeah, well, I think uh, it just it showed that there was a lot more to Martha Stewart than maybe we all assumed. She really is a tough, hard-nosed businesswoman mm-hmm. and who just so happens to have shows and radio programs and magazines about, like, traditionally feminine, soft pursuits like crafting. Yeah, which is interesting because, you know, this whole time she uh, she's single. It's not like she's actually homemaking in that kind of traditional sense of the word, but more, uh, there was an argument that it's the, the kind of homemaking skills that Martha Stewart practices are okay in terms of gender politics because she's doing it for herself. Right, because it's not as if she's, her shows and magazines are about making dinner every single night mm-hmm. and doing the laundry and everything. It's it's more of a creative homemaking. Yeah. Stuff to satisfy yourself. Right. 
But after Martha Stewart serves her five months in jail, she immediately sets out rebuilding her brand and getting herself back out into the public eye and connecting with her fans. And it's kind of incredible to see how she almost immediately, um, I guess, uh, refurbishes her reputation. Yeah. She gets a, a weekly call-in show on Sirius Satellite Radio. She puts out new books, The Martha Rules, The Martha Stewart Baking Handbook, and The Homekeeping Handbook. And I'm just wondering, was she just really busy, I guess, during her incarceration? Just like, I'll just write all this stuff while I'm while I'm in the clink. Well, it provided, as Alexis uh, Stewart tells New York Magazine at one point, she said the five months were actually great because it was the most free time. It was enforced rest. Right. So it's actually not that surprising that she comes out yeah. with all of these books right after Look that. Look what she can do when she can take some time off. Yeah. <laughs> Create all this stuff. Yeah, but within a, a year of her release, MSLO returned to profitability. So that that's a huge turnaround. Mm-hmm. And then in September of 2011, she returned to the board of MSLO, uh, which was the marking the end of a five-year band that she had from serving on any kind of board or or as executive of a public company as part of her settlement with the SEC over her insider trading charges. So obviously, on paper, Martha Stewart is an incredibly savvy businesswoman who started out with a catering business in her basement and, you know, is now the head of this multi-million dollar corporation and she somehow recovered from going to jail over insider trading charges. But uh, the real question on my mind, and probably on listeners' minds too, is what does Martha Stewart really mean maybe for women in general? Like that whole question of whether or not all of these, all of that good housekeeping that she espouses, if it's worth our time, the kind of time that you obviously have to dedicate on a Tuesday to making chicken stock to freeze. Things like that. I mean, it's like, is it realistic, this kind of Martha Stewart fantasy? Right. And New York, the New York Times magazine did ask her that. I mean, is it the best use of modern women's time to make pillows out of their husband's old shirts? And she she kind of got a little a little defensive. Yeah, she was icy with that, in that question. Interview. I mean, yeah, you could you could feel the frost on that piece of paper. Well, it was on my computer, but you get the idea. Um, but yeah, she was basically arguing that that's not really the issue. It's if people enjoy it and want to be creative, it's better to make a pillow out of a shirt than having it end up on the trash heap. Right, or going and buying a pillow. The right. whole kind of DIY uh, type of thing that she... You could say that she's partially responsible for kicking off. Yeah, um, but, uh, but don't call her a feminist. No, no. She had an interesting thing to say about uh, feminism and male ambition and female pursuits. Uh, she said, quote, I don't think in a male or female way. I don't differentiate between male and female. I never have. I'm not considered a feminist. Do we really need to waste time saying I'm a feminist? I never thought about glass ceilings. I never thought about glass floors. Me neither. That sounds dangerous. <laughs> um, I was thinking about how many pies I can come up with for my pies and tarts book. Those are all original ideas. So here she's saying, why bother talking about whether I'm a feminist or whether you're a feminist or feminism in general? Just do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I thought it was an interesting point. I thought it was kind of refreshing in in a way. Right. I think she's doing incredible things for... Uh, a woman, you know, running this company. She has her hand in just everything. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I think it's really impressive. Um, 
it's just kind of like, oh, wow, you're you're pretty. I don't know. Does it seem like she's against feminism or she just doesn't even want to bother with it? I think I can. I, I think it's an issue of not wanting to bother with it because uh, it's it's the whole f- argument of is this so impressive that I've done this because I've done this as a woman. Mm-hmm. If I were a man running this same company, you wouldn't be so blown away. Yeah, you wouldn't be asking me these same questions. Right. Um, so it's it seems like it maybe ticked off a thing in her brain. Yeah, she's like, just let me make my pies and tarts. Right. I'm just I am a mogul who makes pie. Mm-hmm. Just leave me alone. And, you know, glass floors, stay off them. Um, and Ann Mason and Marion Myers in 2006 conducted in-depth interviews with 10 Martha Stewart fans to kind of see if they could uh, get into the why of her appeal, especially because there is that whole fantasy aspect of it. I mean, how many parodies have we seen of of Martha Stewart and her incredibly lofty crafting projects yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't pursue them (laughs) like i said i mean the magazine intimidates me just looking at the cover right because it it is a lot to live up to but apparently according to these in-depth interviews that is part of the appeal yeah um much of what they say is that much of what stewart presents in her media has traditionally been considered quote-unquote women's work but she's she's presenting it in a different way and we kind of touched on this Earlier, it's it's giving women, as they say, Mason and Myers say, it's giving women the permission to be interested in the domestic arena because she's not doing like like we said earlier. It's not like her show is about doing the laundry and separating the whites and the darks. It's it's something that maybe women can be like, oh, well, I do like crafts. Yeah, I do like baking. Why should I feel like I'm not being a feminist or not being powerful or not making myself happy? You know. I just want to make pies, okay? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there's a definite value to that in that it's not like you have to, in order to accept feminist ideology, you have to reject X activities. Right, just like traditional, mm-hmm. traditional women's roles. You can be a feminist baker. Um, uh, yeah, and the Myers and Mason concluded that Stewart plays three main roles in the lives of the superfans. Uh, it encourages the fantasy of an upper-class lifestyle of elegance and luxury, obviously, because you know that's really the only way you would have time to uh, do all the things on her to-do list. Mm-hmm. Uh, it provides an escape from the daily lives, validating the women's interest in domesticity, mm-hmm. and it also fosters creativity and feelings of accomplishment and pride among those who complete projects and recipes. And I have endless admiration for friends of mine um, who are crafty and handy. Yeah. Because I am not. I, I enjoy- can't draw any Yeah, I enjoy cooking, but when it comes to crafting... Yeah, no. I can't cut a straight line. Yeah. I I, I blame that, though, on me being left-handed with scissors. I blame it on... I crap. I have nothing to blame it on. You just try. You use a steak knife instead of scissors. Right. <laughs> the construction <laughs> to paper. Stab the paper. <laughs> Tear with my teeth. Um, but these two writers point out that. Um, not only is Martha Stewart providing all of these outlets for your creativity and your and your baking tendencies, mm-hmm. but um, she's giving you a lot of ways to do it. Yeah, because of her radio shows and her books and her magazines and her TV shows and now her daughter's show and and all this stuff, you have the ability to watch or listen or read whenever you want, right? Kind of, and and make it fit 
your lifestyle. And she has such a big emphasis on organization and planning and scheduling. Mm-hmm. I'm sure those are a number of lessons that I could probably learn mm-hmm. from Martha Stewart. Uh, and Joan Holloway and Rachel Mosley write about Martha Stewart as well in feminism and popular culture. And uh, they claim that she is a housewife who is not a housewife, yeah. which I think is an interesting point. Mm-hmm. Um, and also that her world is a sublime reversal of the feminist domestic labor debate in the 19th 70s, I'm assuming by opening up that door to allow, like saying it's okay to appreciate certain aspects of domesticity mm-hmm. while still being an independent multimillionaire woman running her own empire. Yeah. And I would argue that in the real world, as opposed to the Martha world, perhaps in crafters and uh, other people out there listening, I'm very curious to get your input your feedback on this, but I would argue that in the real world, perhaps the, the echo of, uh, of Martha Stewart is the whole rebirth of crafting and DIY and Etsy and huge projects like that. It seems to have, um, I don't know, benefited a lot of women's lives. Yeah. And, yeah. and men. Sure. They're crafty men. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if she, if she inspires anyone to follow their interests, that's great. I happen to have a couple of friends who make really neat things on Etsy. Uh, I, I can't do it, but I admire them for doing it. Mm-hmm. So I think all in all, we can say that Martha Stewart's a pretty polarizing figure. She sort of reminds me of Oprah in in some ways, how some people love her and some people just can't stand her. And, you know, she shapes maybe what people are, are interested in mm-hmm. by what she presents in her in her media. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of this thing of is is she the uh, champion of crafting and a rebirth and appreciation of DIY and domesticity? Or is she, as she's been called, an uber wasp and chief executive housewife archetype of white femininity and immigrant dream? (laughs) (laughs) Nice quote. Yeah. So what do you think? Do you like do you like Martha? Do you do you follow her shows? Do you do her crafts, bake her pies and tarts? Mm -hmm. Or are you like, oh, weird? Does she yeah. creep you out? I don't know. <laughs> any any thoughts at all? Anywhere in between. You can send them our way. It's momstuff at howstuffworks.com. Uh, or if you would like to send us a handcrafted letter on, on balsam wood <laughs> stationery. We have an, <laughs> a snail mail address, too, that you can find at howstuffworks.com. And in the meantime, we got a couple letters here uh, printed out on 100% <laughs> copy paper white. <laughs> I've got one here from Sarah, and this was in response to our man flu episode in which we mentioned something called cytomegalovirus. And she writes, it was treated with some disdain in your man flu episode, and this was uh, disappointing because according to the March of Dimes, it is the most common congenital infection in the United States as 40,000 babies are born with CMV. This will cause mental retardation and a whole host of disabling conditions in 4,000 of them. On a personal note, from age 13 to 16, I lived with a stepbrother who was one of those 4,000. He's two years older than me and suffered moderate mental retardation as well as hearing loss and mild foot and leg deformities. Throughout the time he lived with us, he watched both myself and his biological sister go through all the typical teenage milestones, knowing that he would never experience them for himself. He was just intelligent enough to know that he had problems and that he would never be able to live a normal life. 
at one point he asked why he had to be born with all of this and how his life was going to be, and he was very bitter most of the time. This had a huge impact on my views on abortion and was my first step towards feminism. So thanks for pointing that out about cytomegalovirus, CMV, and you can find out more information about it at marchofdimes.com. This is from Morgan. This is about our Imaginary Friend podcast. She said, I'm a girl, second child, and I had about 20 different imaginary friends. It could have been because I'm homeschooled and was lonely. I don't know, because my older brother had one as well. The one I remember most was a monster from the book, There's a Nightmare in My Closet. I was very scared of it as a kid, but for some reason I watched the movie and read the book 30 times a day. And how I got my imaginary friend was that I was in a car, and it was very dark, and the monster smashed against the window and followed me home, and I was very scared, but he wouldn't leave me alone, so we became friends. Kind of strange, I guess, because he always protected me after we were friends. Thanks, Morgan. (laughs) I like that story. Uh, So again, if you have any thoughts to send our way about Martha Stewart, is she a good thing? Forgot to drop her key catchphrase this entire podcast. Oh, yeah. Is Martha Stewart... A good thing. Uh, let us know, momstuff at howstuffworks.com, or you can leave a f- comment up on our Facebook page or shout out on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. And you can also check out the blog during the week. It's stuff mom never told you at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House of Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House of Works iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?